Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Julie, let's set the stage for this. Uh, let's travel back in time to around 1981. Okay. Um, I was but a wee child, so I was not actually watching the news or reading the New York Times, but uh, it was reported in the New York Times that uh, the CDC, Centers for Disease Control, uh, headquartered here in Atlanta. That's right, uh, our it, fair city. Yeah, it, it, people who watch uh, The Walking Dead know that. That's our big claim to fame. And people who play the board game Pandemic. So CDC, Centers for Disease Control, they were suddenly really interested in 18 deaths that had occurred over the last four years. They were all apparently healthy uh, Laotian refugees. Uh, all, all men except for one woman, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one woman, the rest men. They were all ethnic Hmong people. Uh, these were a native ethnic group that had fled Laos uh, due to some uh, severe crackdowns. Yeah. In front of Red, too, this is an isolated culture similar to that of the American Indian, mm-hmm. and uh, their religion is an animist one. So yes. it's governed by spirits and manifestations of the soul. Yeah, like like a lot of old religions, uh, very uh, you know have, have this kind of vibe going on. But they, they'd escaped some brutal conditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they you know they had there was a lot of Stress, uh, most likely going on with some, some post-traumatic stress syndrome uh, disorder as well. And uh, they're winding up dead, like in the wee hours of the morning, in their sleep, dying. Right. Completely mysterious and actually really chilling yeah. that these these uh, mostly men were going to sleep and they were fit people. And, yep, all of a sudden, uh, this is happening all over the country, right? Because they're spread out in different cities. It's yeah, not yeah, like a lot it's of, just one area of the country in right, different they're refugee experiencing groups, yeah. this. Yeah. So doctors started to put it together and started to say, oh, this is very odd that these same people, these same refugees, these group of people are dying in their sleep. What's going on? Yeah, One thing that they thought might be going on was the possibility, and they were looking into this, the possibility that they were being scared to death by nightmares in their sleep, that nightmares were killing them in their sleep. Yeah, and at that time, too, they, they termed it Oriental Nightmare Death Syndrome. Yeah. Like, Which, of course, has been updated since then. Yeah, like every part of that, except for uh, <laughs> ex- except for the syndrome, has been updated <laughs> for various reasons. As we'll explore, uh, it's not really about nightmares. And, of course, we don't use the word oriental anymore either. Uh, but um, what's what's fascinating about it uh, is that it does it does really give you the chills because there is that there's the possibility that something in our dreams could kill us uh is is something it, it just continues to fascinate us uh, i mean you see it in our in our stories in our, our fiction in our mythology in our like third grade lunchroom uh conversations oh you know where you hear maybe for the first time oh did you know that if you fall in your dream if you don't wake up before you hit the ground you'll die right right we always have the boogeyman in the back of our minds right mm-hmm. can't help it no matter what culture you're from you have some sort of story and the reason why this is frightening is 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 that it actually does bear some weight, and we'll talk about this a little bit, but you possibly could scare yourself to death to a certain degree. And yeah, it's possible. It's yep. possible, um, and we'll talk about that. It's, it's, um, it's not something that obviously happens all the time, or else we would all be dropping dead right now, yeah. right? Yeah, don't lose any sleep over it. No, but, nothing um, to lose sleep over, but it is an interesting uh, a reality for some people. Mm-hmm. And so you can see that in some cultures – that this idea has really taken root, this idea that you could die in your sleep or that um, something could come and visit you in the middle of the night and and basically take your life. 
Yeah, and as we've discussed in the past, I mean, sleep and dreams, it's a state of the human mind where a lot of the rules sort of shift and change. Uh, I mean, obviously, the brain is tricked into believing that uh, that the dream is reality mm-hmm. during the dream, for the most part, unless you're lucid dreaming. That alone, you're, you're in a world where suddenly even the, the most fantastic uh, of happenings uh, is believed by the mind. Mm-hmm. And then you throw in all these various, uh, um, you know, parasomnia uh, events that we've discussed in the past, and it becomes even weirder. Like, uh, so sleep- you're saying, uh, like sleep paralysis, right. for instance, right? Where you have woken up, but your body is still locked down mm-hmm. uh, because the the, the body parrot sort of goes into the state of paralysis to keep you from, say, you know, your your kung fu fighting a zombie in your dream. You mm-hmm. don't want to do that in your bed next to your significant other right. because then a disaster ensues. Sleep paralysis, as we've discussed before, you wake up, but those locks are still down. So you're like, I'm awake, but I can't move. What's going on? Um, add that that you may have just been having some sort of troubling dream. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Add that to the mix of uh, when you have sleep apnea. Mm-hmm. And at times some people can wake up and uh, be a little bit confused about what state they're in sleep or um, whether or not they're actually waking. And they'll have a sexual arousal, basically. Right. Um in mostly a sleep state. And so take that with the sleep paralysis, uh, cultural taboos, yeah. cultural stories, and all of a sudden you've got a succubus or incubus right. so hanging it, out with yeah. you in bed, right? Yeah, like the in idea I like to think about, like uh, take a medieval monk. They're trying to live this really um, non-sexual life. Mm-hmm. And then in the middle of the night, whoa, you're, you know, you're, you're aroused, you're dreaming, you're, you're waking up in this weird state. So you end up with this cognitive distance, uh, where, uh, where what's happening is at a sharp uh, contrast with what should be happening. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so we end up having to, uh, create this external version of, uh, of, uh, you know, this, it uh, must this, have been a demon. demon. Yeah, it must have been a demon, must have been a spirit, must have, yeah. there was something, uh, uh external, um, t- attacking me. And uh, and you see shades of this uh, th- throughout different uh, cultures and mythologies. Yeah, and we you know we're going to talk about folklore a little bit more uh, surrounding this. But I did want to mention that in South Asian populations, that this sudden unexplained death syndrome that we're going to get into seems to be a bit higher in this population. And you will also see that there is um, a lot of folklore around this this idea of being visited by a demon in mm-hmm. your sleep. Um, in fact, let's talk about that a little bit. So what do you got? You got a list yeah, of suspects here? I do. This is actually from the 14 Times article that uh, you had sent me. And in Japan, um, th- this this type of death uh, in your dream or what they think is happening, people dying from their nightmares, is called pokkuri. The Filipinos call it bangungat or bodybot. Uh, and the Hmong body people... Bot. Body what? You're going to say that the entire podcast, aren't you? And the Hmong people of Vietnam and Laos, um, of course, we just talked about the Laotian people that uh, died in their sleep suddenly and unexpectedly. They call it Sab Swang. Um, and in Thailand, it's called the widow ghost who comes to steal away the souls of young men. Mm-hmm. And it's mostly young men that are experiencing this, right? So right. just imagine this. Imagine that this is happening in your culture, this uh, sudden death among healthy men mostly. So what do they do? Uh, they defend themselves by wearing lipstick at night. I, I read that. Yeah. <laughs> so that the ghost mistakes them for women and leaves them alone. It's also an excellent excuse for why you woke up the next morning with lipstick all over your face. You know That too. Yeah, I had to defend myself from the body butt. Or, yeah. yeah, it's like I wasn't out smoozing it up. I wasn't out wearing lipstick. I just, I'm 
protective measure against the spirits of the night. You know how it goes. Yeah, that's yeah. just, yeah, of course. And then you're like, oh, okay, that, that is this ironclad excuse. I cannot uh, say anything about that. But let's talk about that body bat just a little bit more because I find it fascinating. Um, in, the, in the Philippines, the body bat is an obese female demon uh, that lives you, in the trees. There is a picture of this that you found, uh, an yeah. artist interpretation. Um, and we'll have, we'll, I will definitely link to it in the accompanying blog post for this. Yes. Which you'll find on the House of Works blogs and, and linked on the, the Facebook. Can you describe this image? She appears to be made out of poo. Yeah. That's, that's the yeah. first thing that I think came to mind for you. And then the second is that she's got red, uh, lasers that are coming out <laughs> of her eye holes and her, her mouth hole. Right. And she's sitting on the poor, unsuspecting, uh, person, like sitting on their, face and uh-huh. suffocating them to death. <laughs> well, it, it, and it was, we, I've never, you see plenty of artist uh, depictions of a night terror or a night spirit uh, setting on the chest. Uh, yeah. Like there's the, you know, the, the famous uh, series of paintings, European paintings, where you see the, the little squat little man setting on the person's chest and there's like a nightmare horse or just, a, you know, a nightmare uh, sticking its head through the, uh, the curtain behind. Yeah, uh, like you know, that's a famous image. So the idea of setting on the chest is well established, but but the but setting on the face—that's just uh, that really threw me. Well, in the artist's depiction too of, of whether or not he or she knew it, uh, maybe the, this this being this demon being made out of poo makes it even a little bit more uh, unsavory. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you might want to know, like, or you might say to yourself, why in the world? Would she exact this revenge on this person anyway? Right. And, and the reason is, is What's because her beef? her beef is she was sitting up in that tree. You hacked it down. Oh. And okay. then you used it for either your bedpost or as a support beam in your home. So she conveniently shapeshifts into one of the little peg holes. Okay. And then when you fall asleep, that is when she makes her move. Again, we get back to like these animist uh, views of uh, of the world in which yeah. uh, every part of nature has some sort of spirit to it. And therefore, if you're striking out against anything in the world, you're potentially ticking off a spirit. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of, again, it's the cultural thing. Like, don't, don't, uh, I can't don't take denude a walk the, in the forest park without potentially angering the spirit world. It's yes. really a, a touchy world. It's a very is. touchy world. But, I mean, there's, there's definitely an environmental factor there, right? Like, yeah. don't denude the forest. Yeah. Or, or she will sit on your face. Um, but let's talk about what was really going on with those Loatians, the yeah. 18. Yeah. We will get to that right after this quick break. This podcast is brought to you by Intel, the sponsors of Tomorrow, and the Discovery Channel. At Intel, we believe curiosity is the spark which drives innovation. Join us at curiosity.com and explore the answers to life's questions. All right. So 18 uh, deadly oceans, all in the course of a four-year period. Yeah, four of them in an 18-month period, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which was really freaky. And all of them seemingly healthy. These are not old people. They're not uh, infirm. They're they're not suffering from some sort of uh, weird illness. They're just suddenly dead. And they died in their sleep, and there's the suspicion, what if it was a nightmare? Well, and and again, they before this, uh, in the, back in the day, 1981, they had called it the nightmare death syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, and this sort of be- became the key candidate for what was going on. They thought, oh, okay, someone just just died in their sleep. And again, you're dealing with people who are have been refugees who have experienced lots and lots of stress, right? Yes. Lots of upheaval, uh, lots of change. Um, but what they find out is that this is actually something called Brugada syndrome. Yeah, it's the underlying cause for the sudden unexplained death. And, yeah. and, and it's noteworthy uh, that it's 
connected to people of the Southeast, Southeast Asian descent. Yeah, because it's a genetic factor. It's a, uh, uh, in the same way certain genetic markers appear in certain ethnic groups more than others or, or appear in exclusively in certain ethnic groups. Uh, Southeast Asia is, is where you encounter this or people of Southeast Asian descent. Yeah. Yeah. Not everyone who uh, has a condition dies in their sleep. And, and, you know, it actually has nothing to do with, uh, with nightmares. It's an inherited heart rhythm disorder. And we can actually pinpoint the gene responsible to it. It's a gene called SCN5A, which controls the flow of sodium ions into heart cells. All right. This flow of ions generates the electrical field that controls heartbeat regularity. Isn't that trippy? Yeah. Yeah. So when the flow fails, the heart uh, fibrillates. Yeah. 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 I mean, just, I mean, I knew that we had an electrical field around our heart, but to mm-hmm. think that it's so sensitive that something like that could just trip it. Yeah. And all of a sudden you've got these irregularities. Um, and in fact, there's Dr. Pedro Brigada of Brugada syndrome, he came across this unusual pattern. Oh, the shark fin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He found that he had a patient who he suspected had something weird going on. And uh, so he hooked him up to EEG and it showed this activity in the heart. And as you say, it looked like a shark fin, which became known as Brugada sign. A sign. (laughs) Brugada sign. It's Brugada sign. Um, I don't know. He's Italian now, right? Uh, Yeah, Brugada. (laughs) Uh, but what is one of the key indicators that the patient could suffer from this really rare syndrome? Um, and that, my friend, is what was happening with our friends, the Loatians, that, that uh, all died in this four-year period. Yeah. Now, the, the cool thing is, is that we can, uh, we can treat this. We can, uh, yeah. With severe cases, you can actually uh, put an electrical implant uh, in the body yeah. that will, uh, will address the problem. Uh, and uh, in the foreseeable future, I mean, we're going to be able to, to use like gene therapies on this and tack, tackle the mutation head on. Mm-hmm. So that's even even more encouraging. Yeah, which is, I mean, you know, that's the it's it's awful that, that people had died from that. And certainly it must have been terrifying in that culture, too, because we all know we have this confirmation bias, right? We take mm-hmm. all these different details from around our, our lives and we put it together to make some sort of case about something. So imagine right. you're from this um from, from Laos and this happens and you say, ah, yes, it was the demon that got them, mm-hmm. you know, because they had these um, weird amount of people dying from something that was completely unexplained um, heretofore. Now we know about the 18 Laotians, but that doesn't explain why we have a disproportionately large amount of um, deaths in this culture again, uh, stemming, it seems, from fear. It's possible that you could be scared to death, right? Yeah, it's possible. I mean, uh, you have to sort of break down like what happens when we get afraid. Obviously, there is a, it's a physical, there's a physical manifestation to the fear. It's, a, it's flight or fright. Something bad is happening and your yeah. body needs to prep for possibly running away from it or mm-hmm. duking out, duking it out, you know? So, um, you know, your, your strength surges through your strength surges through your muscles, uh, so you can run or, you know, or, or punch something. Uh, your pupils dilate, you you start breathing faster and a number of chemicals, a whole cocktail of things, including adrenaline, uh, begin pumping through your bloodstream. So intent, in, you know, the activity in the body is intensified. Okay. So you have that going on and then you have something that's almost like a self-fulfilled prophecy. Cause again, you've got this cultural equation going on. And in one of the studies I read, they were looking at, and I can't believe, I can't remember if it's a Korean or it's a Chinese similar word for four and death, but they're very, very close. Hmm. So four and death is not, not a good number in this, um, in this culture. And what they were finding is that there, there seemed to be a larger, number of deaths 
happening on the fourth of each month. Huh. And it's not that the, you know, four has some sort of power over people in this culture. It's that people were sort of anticipating that the fourth was going to come up. So if you have, uh, you know, some sort of condition or you're under a lot of stress, uh, it's very possible that you could almost talk yourself into saying, oh gosh, the fourth is coming up and it becomes like this self-fulfilled prophecy for yourself. And, uh, Molly Edmonds wrote this great article on HowStuffWorks.com called Can You Really Scare Someone to Death? And she was saying that it's very hard to um, say how often these sudden deaths occur uh, because most accounts of sudden deaths are in, are in otherwise help, healthy people and it's anecdotal, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but what she did say that one of the most famous reports of sudden death was published in 1942 by Harvard physiologist Walter B. Cannon. And he reported a, phon- a phenomenon that he called a voodoo death. So what he found is that um, that a lot of sudden deaths were occurring in places where there was some form of voodoo or black magic uh, being practiced, South America, Africa, Australia, and New Zealand. And he recounted the sudden deaths of healthy men who had been cursed by a medicine man accused of eating forbidden food items and injured by spears that were said to be enchanted. So Cannon noted that many of the men have possibly brought about their own deaths uh, by refusing food and water. But also that they died essentially because of this fear that was uh, perpetuated in their society. Huh. So, so the the cultural scenario, the supernatural scenario, is created. Yes. Uh, in which uh, uh, being scared to death is possible. Yeah, so I mean, what what uh, this set the stage, cast the characters, yes. and then that's the outcome of the play. And then what he was saying is, I think it's an overactive sympathetic nervous system. So the conditions are there. All of a sudden. Uh, your amygdala, right, which is so great for trying to ferret out a saber-toothed tiger, mm-hmm. uh, is overactive now in this other instance where the risk, is, you know, is really actually low. The, you know, this this uh, this old man with a stick and this old some, man with a stick some bones is yeah. not going to actually kill you, but it should be a very low risk. Right. But that person and the amygdala and and the body is now perceiving it as a real threat and reacting to it. And this is really going to stress out all the tissues in your heart, um, the rest of your body. It's really going to take a toll on it. it. Again, making it a little bit easier for you to possibly die from this, especially if you're not taking any food or death or food food or death, <laughs> <laughs> food or water. But they're like cats when cats get sick then. Like it creates that scenario, like, you know, where cats refuse to eat and then they die because it's like, what? Like they're sick. I'm not going to eat anymore. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, they kind of just seem to batten down the hatches when cats yeah. get sick. Sort of like, just leave me alone. Let me see if I can heal myself. And I'm just going to go over to this corner. So but, the, like the witch doctor is, is essentially making them act like a cat. It's possible. Yeah. It's possible. But, uh, this other, this article, talked about another instance in which Boston neurologist uh, Martin A. Samuels believes that the sudden death of the former Enron CEO, Kenneth Lay, in July oh. 2006, could have been the result of fear of a looming prison sentence. Uh, or black magic. I mean, or black, Enron, that's, black magic. That's yeah. very possible that he had some... Uh, some voodoo dolls with uh, sticks in them with his name on it. But uh, there's also something called broken heart syndrome, oh, which believe that people die, die from a broken, broken heart. heart. And again, it's not that they die from a broken heart per se, but it could be that excre- extreme emotions cause something that looks like heart failure or a heart attack. Um, but in fact, it's a little bit different because blood clots and clogged arteries that cause cardiac conditions were absent. Instead, the heart was just weak from stressful emotions. Oh. My mom claims that she uh, almost had a heart attack when she saw uh, the first Dirty Harry movie in the theaters. Really? Yeah. Well, okay, so she was 
frightened. She was what? It was just so tense. It was so, uh, you know, exhilarating, you know, that she just, uh, she was just like, oh my goodness, I think I almost had a heart attack. Well, have you ever had someone sneak up on you and you really literally gasp for breath and you, and your whole body just stops? It just kind of shudders itself. Yeah, every time, uh, you come up to my desk while I'm <laughs> listening to music on my headphones. Yeah. I try to tap gently and, and get your attention. Before I scare you. Well, it's not every time, but still, I mean, sometimes I'll be really into something and, and somebody will come up and it'll be, ah, you know. So yeah, I, I, that happens every day. Then you know, it's yeah. possible. Uh, I mean, the, the good news here is that it's very rare to, to die from, from, um, so, something like this. I mean, obviously you'd have to have some sort of conditions in place. And when you think about the Loatian refugees, again, this is an instance where they were undergoing extreme stress, right? Right. Um, and presumably and uh, emotionally, well, I'm sure and physically we're having to deal with that. And that could certainly have eroded um, their health to a degree, although right. they were otherwise healthy. Yeah. You know? So what we're saying and they here had is the gene. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the gene was the, the main factor there. But 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 from what we looked at, it is conceivable that one could have a nightmare. And if one's uh, physical condition was uh, such to um, facilitate this, mm-hmm. you could be scared to death by a nightmare. But then who would know, right? I mean... Well, that's the problem, yeah. right? It's kind of hard to do a double-blind study on that one. Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, and until we really get that inception technology going, and then we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll, yeah. we'll figure it out. We're getting there. It's also worth noting, uh, and I did a blog about this aspect of it. This uh, New York Times article came out in 81 and about the CDC study and, and made the headlines. And then in 1984, the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie came out. Oh, right, right, yeah. right. You have a great blog post about this. Yes. This was a news item that partially inspired Wes Craven to create Nightmare on Elm Street. So if you like those movies, this is uh, where it came from. And if you uh, don't like those movies, this is a, some, a you story can you can blame, blame it on. That. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but again, nothing to fear, really. I mean, when you think about it, low risk here, folks, uh, when you think about actual high risk uh, situations in our lives, like getting into our cars, that's that's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. So be careful out there, please. One one more thing before we move on to uh, listener mail. Uh, I was looking through Carol Rose's Giants, Monsters and Dragons, an encyclopedia of folklore, legend and myth, looking for some sleep related demons. Mm-hmm. And I think all the sleep. Most of the sleep uh, demons are hiding in her in her other book about fairies that I don't have. Yeah, I keep some some serious uh, scientific uh, books on hand here at House of. But Work. you're not going to bring the fairies book to work, is what I'm hearing. Well, I'm going to have to buy it. I don't oh, own okay. it. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I'll put it on my bookshelf. <laughs> uh, I'm but not scared. It did have an item about the Sandman. Yes. Uh, which, uh, this is fascinating. It says, this is the name of the fearsome nursery bogey in the uh, late 18th and early 19th centuries of England. The Sandman was a vicious and terrifying ogre who came during the night to throw handfuls of coarse sand into the eyes of children who would not go to sleep. And it gets worse. When the eyes of the screaming child were rubbed, they dropped out all bloody on the floor. The Sandman <laughs> gathered these eyes to take in his sack as food for his long-beaked progeny nesting in the crook of the crescent moon. This was the image of the Sandman nursery bogey in the fairy tale written by E.T.A. Hoffman in 1817. Uh, and then in subsequent years, we uh, we we. Uh, I think we there are also other uh, folk tales where there's you know there are fairies that bring like sleep dust and put it in your eyes and we huh. and uh, along with the, with those ideas we, we ended up turning the Sandman into this more benign uh, 
or even benevolent uh, spirit that comes in and sprinkles sand oh, yeah, in your right. eyes and makes and you go to sleep. Makes you sleepy and instead there was, of rubbing your eyes out all bloody on the floor. And feeding them to some sort of bird-like creatures that live on the moon. It's uh, <laughs> terrifying. So You know, I've been looking for a good story to read to my daughter. Oh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. We went through the whole Dr. Seuss thing, so that's – thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Just set her down and have a talk with her. Say, look um, – <laughs> The Sandman. The Sandman. Tonight. This is how it works. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it's going to go down. (laughs) Uh, Well, cool. Well, let me uh, get to the listener mail here. So we recently uh, covered electronic music, or at least we... We sort of did an introduction to electronic music because, uh, you know, as we as we mentioned, we can't possibly cover everything about it. It is but, very vast. Uh, so yeah, we had some some people uh, wrote in with some interesting uh, feedback on that. Uh, well, a number of people actually. Um, a listener by the name of Ian wrote in and said, "Dear Robert and Julie, I love the podcast, especially the recent episode on electric music." Um, but when Robert said he did not know what Nintendo Step was, I thought I'd clarify. Uh, and this is good for me because I'm, I truly did not know what it was. Uh, Nintendo Step is a subgenre of dubstep, but instead of using electro- electronic synthesizers on samplers, computers, or keyboards, they use chiptunes, which is music from older video game consoles. Think original Mario to create the warbling robotic sounds of normal dubstep. He included a few uh, samples, which I listened to, which uh, I think they were from Rusco, and they were uh, they were pretty interesting. Uh, thanks for getting me through a few six-hour bus rides to uh, X-Country ski races. Sincerely, Ian. Oh, cool. cool. Yeah, uh, there you go, Nintendo stuff. I think we're all richer for knowing what that is. It, it is, you know, part of that trend where you see uh, you see a lot of artists going back to older electronic s- sounds and bringing them back. Like I've uh, I've really been into this uh, one uh, chill wave. Um, I guess you'd call him chill wave mm-hmm. artist uh, that goes by the name uh, Tom Cruise, like Tom Cruise with the letters <laughs> reversed. And uh, that and he, alone, I will yeah. listen for that alone. And uh, and he, he has his style, style is like very much calling back to like uh, like nineteen eighties. Um, Kind of like Miami Vice soundtrack kind of oh stuff, um, but in a good way. Uh, it, it sounds like it, listening to the music makes you feel like you're in the best possible like convertible. S- you no, know, no, I'm thinking more like like psychedelic uh, Miami okay, Vice, thinking... uh, you know, movie of some kind. But okay. Yeah. All right. Tubbs and Crockett. There you go. And we also heard from Jay. Jay wrote and said, I just listened to your electronic music podcast and really enjoyed it. However, I was surprised you didn't mention uh, Vocaloid music. It's been around long enough uh, to not be a fad, even though it is wildly popular in Japan and East Asia. Uh, there have been some very successful concerts in the U.S. The amazing part about this is that uh, Vocaloid singers are completely virtual. Uh, they are software programs, not people. So in order to have a concert, the Vocaloid characters have to take the stage as holograms. Um, I hope oh. this subject will blow your mind. It certainly has blown mine. Sincerely, Jay. Um, yeah, that's. Uh, I think Josh Clark did a blog post about this uh, a while back um, where it's like the, the, the frontman or front woman for the group, the the, the singer, is a hologram yeah. on stage. And people were like going nuts, but the the, the, the main character, the, the main persona of this band does not exist in physical reality. Hmm. I'm thinking about this movie called Wild Palms by Oliver Stone, and I feel like there was a, a section oh, yeah. of that movie that had something very similar. Oh, cool. You could just beam in your own music. You know, huh. you'd have like... I don't know. I think in this, like the Pointer Sisters. Huh. I don't know. Well, it, it makes you wonder, like in the future, it's like we, we, will we depend more and more on holographic pop stars? And then uh, would we be able to, I mean, would we be able to preserve past pop stars this way or recreate them? So, like, would you have holographic Elvis concerts? Well, I mean, I can definitely see 
cable companies really continuing to this, right? Because yeah. they would say, okay, well, we're going to have Celine Dion or Justin Bieber, or, you know, whomever at this point, come on and, uh, and we're going to, you know, for extra $100, you can get them beamed into your living room. Oh, man, imagine the benefit. What, what's the song that they did, like the uh, sort of feed the children kind of things where they... The, we are the world. Yeah, we are the world. Yeah. Yeah, what if, imagine the We Are the World concerts of the future. You could, you could actually go to this concert and they would have holograms of like all these like past pop stars and there would be, uh, you know, be like Beethoven and Elvis. Well, see, I'm kind of loving this Bieber. too for a cocktail party, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, you got, like you said, Elvis and Beethoven hanging. I mean, they're obviously not able to interact, I, I, I would assume, but still. No, you make them interact, yeah. You make them eat all the nachos. Yeah, and then you, you could tweak their musical setting. So, like, imagine this idea. You have like Elvis doing like dubstep in your house like how horrifying is that it's pretty great yeah so All right. <laughs> the future is shiny it is uh so hey if you have any thoughts about the future um about well about the past sure why not we're a game the present yeah we'll we'll listen to that too uh especially if you have any thoughts about dreams and nightmares i'm 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 very interested uh, how many of you have ever died in a dream um, and of course, not died in real life. Because then, how would you write us? Uh, but because we were talking about this earlier, how you said that you, you've mentioned that in dream, you've had dreams where you have died or yeah. been about to die, and obviously you're still alive. Well, yeah, I'm a lucid dreamer, and so yeah. it was more like a movie, watching okay. myself. It wasn't there wasn't any sort of real fear there. Okay, uh, I'm for for my part, I don't think I've ever had a dream where I actually died. Uh, so it's, it's, it's really fascinating to think about it. So, but let us know. Tell us what, tell us all about your dreams and, uh, and how, uh, they line up with this, uh, podcast. Now, who else asks you to do that? I know. Come on. Right? Everybody loves talking about their dreams. Let no, us know. Hit them. Hit them. Even if we don't respond, we will, we will read them for sure. Indeed. So, uh, if you want to check out what we're up to, uh, drop by our Facebook and Twitter feeds. We are Blow the Mind on both of those. And you can also drop us an email at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House of Work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow. Tomorrow.